Just before we get into today's episode, I want to cast your ears over here to this promo for a few minutes and explain why you might be missing out if you're not using Adobe Express. You've heard of Adobe, right? The chaps that brought you Illustrator, InDesign, and who hasn't been asked? Has this been photoshopped? Adobe is a household name. But have you heard of Adobe Express? I hadn't until the back end of last year, and then, well, I did. Now, I'm not saying that in a few years' time, people will be asking you, where were you when you discovered Adobe Express? But they may ask why you didn't start using it sooner. Using Adobe Express allows endless opportunities to scale up your creatives and improve your efficiency and productivity, as well as anything I've seen or used. Creating and editing all your creative output with more customizable templates than a Rubik's Cube has variations. Well, all right, maybe not 43 quadrillion, but you get the idea. And that is just your basics. The powerful AI function allows you to generate customizable images from text and tweak them once created, as well as adding, removing, or changing parts of all your photos. No more photo bombing or misplaced Starbucks cups to dethrone you. Get it? If you don't want to miss out on any of this, use one of the links in the show notes that will take you to a free trial of Adobe Express. Or why not supersize it and trial the complete Adobe Creative Cloud package, which includes Adobe Express, as you'd imagine. Oh yeah, bonus point. If you're already a Creative Cloud user, Adobe Express is right there waiting for you. Now let's do it. The three biggest mistakes that predominantly food retailers were making at the time was it was the first one is this kind of knee-jerk reaction to the consumer demand of you must stop using plastic. So very quickly, all the retailers made promises and um, plans to reduce or remove plastic, you know, in its entirety or in massive numbers, fifty percent reduction over five years, and all these sort of all these sort of promises. But without really, without really a plan or any idea of how they were going to do it. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humour in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's, it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general, this podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. When we analyse the construction industry, 
we often focus on the building cost. However, the true cost of inefficiencies, rework and waste is frequently underestimated. In episode 9, we spoke to Jaina and Jayan from Gamma AR and how augmented reality can help reduce some of these reoccurring problems. But what about the tangible? Construction is all about tangible, right? The physical products, the fabric of a build and everything that goes inside it. Where did these products come from? What are they made up of? And where will they end up? From raw materials to on-site waste, there is a lot to consider here. According to the CPA, Construction Products Association, in 2018, the UK produced 68 million tonnes of construction and demolition waste, of which 5 million tonnes went to landfill. With the bigger picture always focusing on the actual product this intro has covered, today I want to turn your attention to the periphery and parts of a product we don't generally discuss. The packaging. So let's wrap this intro up. Roger Wright is the Waste Strategy and Packaging Manager at Biffa, bringing his retail experience to the construction industry, more specifically, bringing his experience into waste management. By developing this unique service, Roger looks to help businesses think differently about their packaging, the packaging they consume, and make sure that that becomes more circular in its approach. Roger designs out the materials they don't need and implements the scalable alternatives they do. It's almost counterintuitive as doing this will invariably reduce the waste created and therefore reduce the requirements for that waste to be managed. But it's certainly a strategy that Biffa and Roger wholeheartedly believe is the right one. So Roger, welcome. And would you like to add anything to that intro? Thank you, Peter. That thanks for the welcome. Um, would I add? Would I add anything to the welcome? Yeah, I'm. I am relatively new to the waste management sector. Um, uh, I've only been in in this sector for three and a half years, mm. so I'm still learning. I'm still learning day to day about lots of new stuff because of my previous my entire career has really been in packaging design, packaging technology. Um, but now I've been in waste management for three years. I don't think I'd go back to retail yeah. or back to back to manufacturing. I think it's such a great it's such a great sector to be in. So um, I'd encourage anyone listening to this that it's a great career, great career for anyone who's interested in any material function of any material or any sort of issue around the circular economy to to get involved with. To be honest, fantastic, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it's worth reiterating that point simply because when you think of waste or uh, and I suppose Biffa being a, a big big brand in that perspective you know the the red big uh, dump yeah. bins or however you whatever you call them um it can be so easy to just see that as waste and there's nothing mm. circular about it where that's far from the truth absolutely absolutely I mean I I try and do anything but talk about bins and trucks if I can if I can help it yeah. and, because that's what that's what our customers really want to talk about. They that's the day to day stuff. The bins and the trucks. Yeah. That's that almost looks after itself. But it's what um, why I find this role so interesting is because we can get into the other stuff, the really hard stuff they haven't thought about. Mm. Um, and like you say, the, it's almost like the elephant in the room is we want to collect less waste from you, Mister <laughs> Customer or Mrs. Customer. 
and it, and they go, are you you really do you really want to do that? And actually, yeah, we do. That's that's our that's our raison d'etre. That's our that's that's the reason mm. to this because if we don't do that. Well, first of all, they're going to get, they're going to go to someone that can. But B actually actually helps us because we are are at our core a recycling business, not a general waste processing business. Mm. Which unfortunately, some of our competitors do would would rather would rather incinerate that waste than do anything meaningful with it, and that's not where we are at all. So we are genuinely trying to move move material up the waste hierarchy from landfill or energy recovery to to something better. Okay, well let's let's start off then by looking at some of that waste and probably yeah. one of the um, one of the more obvious or predominant uh, waste materials that that we currently have in in the UK and in the world. I, I would say, but according to SwiftPack, about forty percent of plastic packaging used in construction sites ends up in landfills. Yeah, most of that can be, as you know, be recycled, reused, or even replaced. But for various reasons, it isn't. And I think the decomposition timeframe is about a thousand years. So you know, next time I open a pack of ham uh, and and put that in the recycling, if it's not going somewhere that's going to use it, then it's going to way, way, way outlive outlive me, which is bizarre. And if you think about the amount. Of, of plastic we utilize particularly in construction and packaging that can stack up really quickly yeah. so how have we got to this stage where plastic is the enemy <laughs> how have we got here this is a this is a relatively recent phenomenon actually uh i think there's a, there's almost like a te- there's probably a 10-year journey that we've been on as consumers and as people working for businesses i think back to a chap called Boyan Slat. You might know that name. He was the chap that built a, a great big scoop to scoop the garbage, the garbage patch in the Pacific in the Pacific Ocean. He oh, did this yeah, in two thousand. Yeah. Did it in two thousand thirteen and made made a um, big. Obviously, was he was doing something very worthwhile. But it was the first time I think we became aware of this this floating island of of plastic in the sea and, and other materials. And I think uh, slowly but surely, people have sort of. Got dug into this this problem of, of waste in the environment and particularly focusing on plastic. Um, and the next thing that might people might remember is Hugh Fernley Whittingstall talking about coffee cups in 2015. Remember when he basically said to the world, you know, on BBC, you know, a coffee cup isn't just a paper cup. It's got a plastic lining inside it. And by the way, that makes it really difficult to recycle. And everyone was kind of shocked to, to learn that their coffee cups had actually got plastic in it. <laughs> who knew sort of thing yeah. but it, it, i mean it's obvious to a packaging designer but actually people didn't realize that that, that made it that made it really hard to recycle uh, and then of course the big one was was blue planet 2 in 2017 and that really that really blew the doors off what people thought they knew about plastics and, and materials in general and what was happening in, in the real world um and of course that that at that point in time government suddenly woke up and thought we need to do something about it because of the noise and the uh, you know the, the very vocal sort of response to that to that problem but i think it'd been it had been building up for probably four or five years to that point i think everyone was aware mm. of the the problem and i think everyone had intuitively knew that a lot of the material they were recycling in inverted commas probably wasn't going to get recycled 
uh, or they, or, they, or they, they sort of knew that there was a problem with this plastic stuff that they were using every day. Mm. Uh, and this kind of, I mean, rightly or wrongly, it made everyone aware of what they were, of what they were doing. And, and I, I guess we'll, we'll probably look at the policy bits later in the, in the chat, but that was, yeah, that would, that drove, that then drove the policy of the UK government mirrored mirrored all around the world by lots of other governments in in the developed world to, to do a similar thing um i mean only now you, you if you watch if you're watching the news at the moment in depth you'll see that there's um a meeting of governments in nairobi in kenya talking about a new plus a new resolution to reduce the amount of plastics that are being manufactured and therefore potentially littered in our rivers and oceans it's and it's um it's obviously something that we we watch very carefully because I think it could mm. it could potentially limit the amount of mater plastic materials that's manufactured going forward, and I think that would be a good thing. So this 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 notion of plastic as an issue isn't going away. Either. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just getting more and more prevalent, and that's, and I think the link between plastic production and environmental destruction is quite close. Actually, there's quite there is a link between the two things. But what I say, what I say to people is that you, we've got to, you've got to not consider it as evil. It's actually um, a miraculous material in most, yeah. in, many set, in many settings. And I think reflecting on, you know, the top, the, the topics of your your discussions, plastic makes buildings possible, doesn't it? In an in, a, in an efficient way, uh, and mm. plastic actually prevent waste ultimately, especially with food packaging. Plastic prevents prevents waste which is counterintuitive to what you might think about plastic so we have to be i think the dial i think the dial swung massively to plastic is evil but the dial yeah. is coming back to the middle now and, we, and people are realizing there is nuance in the debate yes we should make less of it um yes as as plastics get smaller the problems get, get bigger because it's entering the it's entering the foods waste you know it's entering the food stream into fish and then into us we know that but there is there is still a place for the right use of plastic. Um, and mm. I mean, what I say to people is, I'm not, I'm not here to sell them plastic or packaging of any type. But I will recommend plastic packaging if it's right for what you're doing, and if we or someone else can come along and take, collect it, and recycle it at the end of end of its first life, if you like. So um, yeah, it's it's it has been an ongoing sort of narrative over the last ten years, perhaps a bit longer. Um, and the dial, the dial has moved around in that time, but it's never, it's never going to go away as, a, as, a, as an issue, quite mm. rightly. I, I, I always find it interesting, for, just purely from a, a waste perspective, that if you were to go to any major city, if you were to walk around that city of a morning, you know, early morning, and, and you see all the, the waste being waited wait to be collected, because uh, that's the most efficient way to do it, put it on the side, uh, if you if you stand there and just look at what you can see or where, wherever you're walking, that is a small, tiny proportion of all the world's waste, yeah. and it hurts my head a little to think about. Okay, but, and this this isn't just done once; it's done on a daily basis, 365 days a year, or at least 364, yeah. or whatever yeah. it might be. And it's like that is a lot of waste. Like it's it's quite hard to comprehend it you know you can you can throw massive numbers out there but it's really hard to comprehend how much waste um we as humans create let alone as an individual or a shop or a street or a city it's like it's phenomenal really 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think you, you mentioned 40% of plastics a minute ago in terms of what was recovered. Mm. Um, but actually, it can be as low as 5 6% of, of certain materials that are recovered and recycled in the plastics world anyway. But it can be as high as 80 wow. to 85%, depending on what it is. So yeah. you, would, you end up landing on 40%, which is probably about average when you look at all the different plastic types. But all the good ones get badged with with the, with the worst ones they all get dragged down with the worst ones yeah I, I say worst ones worst ones are only plastics that are just too difficult to, to grab a hold of so the light the light soft plastics which tend to fly away in the environment or mm. are so light that it's that it's really quite difficult to make a, a viable business case to recycle them because you need a lot of it to make it worth collecting and recycling whereas hard plastics okay. are a much oh, right. more viable proposition Okay, in, in, interesting. We'll, we'll, like you say, we'll, we'll come on to the the, the policies and optimizing yeah. packaging, and, and and more specifically within construction in a little while. But I just want to take take you back and and use your knowledge from other industries, if if you like. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's I keep saying this on nearly every single episode, and I need to stop. But it's it, it's obvious, or it's safe to say that construction can be lagging behind a number of industries. I think that that, that that's true, but it's it's a little it's a little bit unfair in that you know there's a lot of good innovation going on in 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 construction but we can be stuck in more traditional ways of of working so looking further afield yeah we might be able to gain some knowledge and information from other industries and when you think about packaging and waste mm. and i'm thinking more fast moving consumer goods like we've been talking about and supermarkets which were put under scrutiny back in 2015 um, yeah. and they reduced their you know that their, their, their single use plastic bags and i think that's dropped by about 98% but it's a bit of a, a forced reduction if you like yeah um yeah what can we learn from other industries or what can we learn from the mistakes that other industries have learned because for, for me you know, supermarkets and that kind of industry missed a massive trick in that they could have done that themselves, but it, it was a policy that forced them to do it. And now yeah. they're kind of taking credit for reducing the plastic waste that they produce, but they had to anyway. So going back to my question, yeah. what can we learn from the mistakes from other industries or other industries in general? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned bags, plastic bags, single-use plastic bags in particular, because I was... I was working for Marks and Spencers when they introduced the charge for plastic single-use plastic carry okay. bags before it was policy. So it became nice. policy a couple of years afterwards. But I'm I was blessed to be working for a company like MS because it did show me some of the mistakes that were being made in, in this environment. Okay. I think the three biggest mistakes that predominantly food retailers were making at the time was it was the first one is this kind of knee-jerk reaction to the consumer demand of you must stop using plastic so very quickly all the retailers made promises and um, plans to reduce or remove plastic you know in its entirety or massive numbers 50 percent reduction over five years and all these sort of all these sort of promises but without really without really a plan or any idea of how they were going to do it and then they were having to over the over those years having to try and figure out what they were going to do which is very problematic but also try and backtrack on the promises they made and then yeah. when they did figure out what they could do with some of these problematic materials they weren't actually going to get recycled anyway they might have been they might get collected they might even mm. get sorted but they weren't going to 
get turned into anything new potentially and at the end of life so there was a lot of fire a lot of firefighting because of that initial knee-jerk reaction i think as we now know and, and as as this sector is learning you could be a bit more nuanced about the promises you make and the sort of the plans that you make around plastic reduction uh, mm. so that's kind of the first thing these knee-jerk reactions acting acting haste repent at leisure sort of thing um that, that retailers i mean r- rightly in a way because they're they're consumer food food consumers you know your your big supermarkets they are it's a it's a war out there in between them they need to win as many customers off each other as possible and if their customers mm. are, are complaining about anything and in this case plastic they've got to react really quickly and prove mm-hmm. and show that they're doing something about it so I think a more on, a more honest, nuanced approach would have would have been better back then to those to those to that noise. That's, the second thing is that we've now learned is that if you if you can really get into the data and the amount of and the and the real data about what you're doing and what you're placing onto the market and what exactly is that material you're placing onto the market, that can open that can reveal loads of insights into what you can do about it. So at the time. You know the best data systems in every supermarket weren't really up to the up to the job they knew exactly what their products were and knew the ingredients in their products and all that stuff but they didn't really have a good handle on the on the packaging and what they were placing mm. on the market they would pay they would pay for the goods that, that were packaged in a certain way and then the packaging ends up in someone's bin or worst worst case scenario ends up in the environment and they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you how much of how much of it was theirs or how much potentially could have been theirs. But now, you know, six, seven years later, businesses are much hotter on the data and they, they know in much more granular detail what they're placing on the market, what type of polymer Mm. it might be, how much recycled content it might have, um, how recyclable it it is, um, which we didn't know then. I mean, a business, some businesses were only measuring recyclability in weight and reporting 90% 90% is recyclable but actually when you added up all the individual bits of material it was more like 40 or 50% of what they were mm-hmm. placing on the market was recyclable a very different a very different story for the consumer that one isn't it and, yeah, and a lot absolutely of, a lot of supermarkets have to backtrack and say actually our recycling figures aren't aren't as good as you'd think so data data and this sector this sector is already learning from you know good data can really provide good insights and what to do it's mainly about it's mainly about making the changes that have the most impact volume volume in volume so what has the biggest physical impact but also the biggest reputational impact and i'm not saying you should greenwash I'm not saying if you ever greenwash anyone mm-hmm. we'll probably get into greenwashing later but if you can do something that has a, a really big impact but also a visual visual impact the the two work hand in hand so i think that's that's something that this sector can learn from for, for sure mm. and then that's yeah, supposed it, to be over sorry peter yeah to add um uh, to that greenwashing thing and and for me yeah th- there is a lot of it but if if you're i mean i mean it's all about gaining attention right and you need to do that in in the right way the, the issue when you start to kind of blur the truth with not fiction but but 
you know, you look at the positive charts and not the negative ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's quite easy to get caught out. Plus the public perception about greenwashing is, is being heightened. So, so any kind of stat will be put under scrutiny. Yeah. So you've yeah. got to be massively careful when you go down that route, although you are going to choose your best numbers and figures and there's going to be negatives behind them, but you are going to choose them. So apologies yeah. for, for putting in there, but that's just my marketing approach to, to, to that one. No, absolutely. And I, th you know, it, it, the, the businesses that were a bit more counterintuitive actually did quite well. I think, I mean, I have to call out the, the work, the work that Patagonia did on products, not packaging. They said, don't buy our products. Essentially, don't mm. buy our products because they last so long, you don't need to buy our products. But it had the flip. It, it had the flip result, didn't it? People were more attracted to their products. So they were, they were, there were things like that that are very clever. And I, I'm seeing that in the marketing now of packaging. Certain brands mm. are, are doing a sort of that really disruptive sort of sort of marketing spiel. But I think coming back to the greenwashing, I think you're right. They are companies were are scared of saying too much. They call mm -hmm. it green hush. They call it green hushing. So they're doing something. <laughs> They're doing something good, but they don't. They're too scared to talk about it, which is Brilliant. almost as bad as saying something that isn't true. You know, it's like you can't you can't win almost. But I think yeah, um, I think the last thing I was going to say about you know what what can we learn? What can this sector learn from you know the food and fast moving goods sector is that sustainability, removing packaging or simplifying packaging, or doing something better with packaging actually pays. Sustainability is mm. good for business. And that's that's a really tough message normally to get across to businesses. It was at the time, but I think people are starting to understand that um, sustainability does is does make you more money ultimately because you're some in many cases you're stripping away the the frills and guilt. You know you're not gilding the lily and that there's packaging industry is is guilty of, of doing that for sure. Over packaging, yeah. lots of print, lots of lots of unfortunately I have to say lots of marketing around around the product where perhaps. <laughs> You could strip it back a little bit and save money, uh, and mm -hmm. that, that's and, what a lot of businesses are learning now. Yeah, and and I'm not going to go off on that that marketing tangent, but that's when brand becomes important. Uh, and if you look at one of the the biggest users of plastic, Coca-Cola, then I, I'm I'm not here to fly their flag. Far from it. Uh, evil juice, in, in my opinion. But from from a, a marketing perspective, I remember reading oh, many years ago that they had reduced their bottle thickness by, you know, 0.2 of a mil or something like that. And it yeah, saved yeah. them hundreds of millions of pounds by just doing that tiny little tweak. And, and yes, yeah. they are on a mega epic global scale, aren't they? But yeah, the fact yeah. still remains, like you were saying, those changes, those tweaks, they don't have to be major and massive to make a difference to the bottom line. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that that particular that particular thing. We called it light lightweighting in the industry. So during mm -hmm. the early during the early tens, as this as this notion of too much plastic became a thing, people were lightweighting all their packaging, making everything thinner and thinner, the gauges thinner and thinner. And then using multi multi materials to do the same job as a thicker material. So what we what you end what we ended up with is lots of really complicated materials that were thinner, yes, lighter, yes, maybe even cheaper. <laughs> but now you're let now you've got this really complicated material you're placing on the market, and now you're being told we can't recycle that; it's too complicated. So yeah. Actually, in some cases, we're having to kind of almost rewind 
back to a if you like a mono material or perhaps thicker material that can be recycled so we, it's very difficult that's very difficult to do because you're you're adding in cost again potentially in weight yeah. and a blo- and that's what that's if you i wouldn't say that was a mistake that we could learn from in this sector but it's something to be mindful of that the lightweighting mm. bit each needs to be very carefully thought about because you might you know you might create yourself a frankenstein's monster that then you might have to you know kill in five ten years time yeah that's my naivety there uh not not thinking about the the, the multiple components that would make make that maybe it did maybe it didn't it was just a small headline that i read and i thought that's that's a really interesting way of looking at packaging and and showing the benefits yeah do you buy do you buy milk in plastic bottles by any chance at home yes yeah have you noticed that they're getting thinner and thinner the bottle it's almost collapsing in your hand yep yep 100 percent. yep that's that's happening as over time to save to save money so that we can you know so the industry can have a higher you know yield of material etc mm-hmm. but there's a point at which you you can't go any further because the bottles yeah. will, will burst or break in the customer's hands and i think we've reached that tipping point where we're probably hmm. about as far as we can go but if we wanted to add more recycled content into those bottles you might feel that they get a bit thicker because when you mm. add recycled material in something you, you have to sort of you have to compensate a little bit so there's there's a um, there's a fine line between this lightweighting when it and where where you where how far you can take it. Yeah, absolutely. So, with that in mind, let's have a look at um, the, the the legislative part of mm. of the industry. So, my little preamble to to this this part this topic would be that, uh, and 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 please correct me if anything of this sure. is is slightly off but in this year in february i think the packaging waste regulations came into effect and in doing some research there's loads of legislations going back yes. to or the the the, the, the more the, the newer ones go back to about 1990 so you can imagine how yes. many there they are i think that was waste um, obligations under the environmental protection act so yeah. it's, it's it's a minefield of rules and regs that are probably not that well known to be honest to a lot of people in construction oh, yeah. yeah yeah what what in your opinion what are the need to knows here and yeah, yeah. do these legislations go far enough in terms of construction packaging and waste Okay, so the need, I, there's only really, I say only, there's a, you're right, there's a lot of moving parts to this now. Mm. What's, what's happened is since since that original regulation back in the 90s, it was iter- iterated again in the end of the 90s, it's only now, like 20 years later, getting a refresh. And this refresh has got many, like I say, many components to it. Rather than get overwhelmed, if anyone's listening in this in this sector, mm. don't be overwhelmed by all of that. There's probably made three main things to think about. One of which is one of which has changed, one of which is halfway there, and one of which hasn't changed yet but will affect this sector. Um, so the the thing that has changed is this thing called the plastic tax. And if you're not familiar with the plastic tax, if you're placing plastic packaging on the market, and it and it does include some plastic products as well, but mainly packaging. And if you're not putting at least 30% recycled plastic in that product, you're going to pay 
HMRC, 200 pounds a ton for the privilege, just over 200 pounds per ton for the privilege. Uh, so it's not a ban, it's a tax. And therefore, anyone produce, anyone manufacturing or importing plastic packaging in any sector, in, and it includes this sector, and obviously there's a lot of volume in this sector, will then have an extra bill to pay to the, to the tax man for the privilege of doing that. So that is affecting businesses now. And even if you're in a part of the supply chain that isn't directly paying that, so I don't know, you're, you're, a merch, you're, you're merchandising the products or you're, a, you're, on a build, you're actually a builder on a building site, you're not paying the tax, but your supplier or your supplier's supplier is paying. And inevitably, they're going to pass that cost down to you eventually, of course, in the cost of goods. Pallet of bricks wrapped in plastic. Well, the plastic's more expensive now, so the bricks are going to be more expensive. Not by much, but that's that's very much having an effect. Uh, and why why that's important, you know, now is because that cost could could go up from two hundred to nearly you know to nearly a thousand pounds per ton in the future, because only we only know that because that's what the EU is likely to do to to, to ratchet that cost up for the privilege of not using recycled material. Um, mm. And also the percentage might go up. So it's 30%, as I said, but that percentage might creep up to 40, 50, 60%. And you pay, you either pay the tax or there might be a stair lift or, or like, like a, an elevator cost where you pay a bit more and a bit more, depending how close you can get. Um, so that we know, we know that's coming because it's easy money for the government. That tax is easy to hike up and the percentage is mm. relative. But in the food, in the food system, it's very hard to put recycled content into food packaging. So they're a bit stymied with this. They can't they can't physically put recycled material into things that are next to food. Whereas in this sector, in this sector, it's probably it's a bit easier to put recycled material mm. into, a, into a piece of plastic packaging. So you could, you know, we could construction could be the recipient of, of material that perhaps wouldn't have gone into something else, but could go into this packaging. So whilst it's a it's a it's a negative but it's also a positive in my in my opinion mm-hmm. so the, the more that businesses either ask for it specify it or just are aware of it is is a good thing and that launched um that launched in april last year and 2023 uh, 2022 um so we've had a full year of this it's gone up it's gone up by inflation but it will go up again in bigger increments in the future so anyone dealing with a lot of packaging plastic packaging needs to be aware of that that's the first yeah. one. The second one is probably as as big, if not bigger, is something called extended producer responsibility. And we love an acronym in waste management and in policy. And it's EPR. EPR is the, is the lovely acronym that you hear flying around. Well, more specifically, small p EPR, which is packaging EPR, because there are all, there are other EPRs coming down the track. There were EPRs for. Okay textiles epr for small electricals and other things coming down the track so packaging as a as i often say is kind of the canary in the coal mine of all of these different you know policies that are coming packaging is the easy target and will be the first of many Mm. packaging epr fees will basically put certain materials on the naughty step (laughs) if i can call it that (laughs) and then carry a higher cost to the producer of that, of that packaging or the pa- person placing that packaging on the market. So in this sector, you're looking at those complex complex laminates of plastic um, and disrupt things that disrupt the recycling system that will get a higher cost. 
So it's a bit like a tax, but it's not a tax. It's almost saying if you don't use this good suite of materials, mm. you're going to be paying a hell of a lot more for the privilege of using those materials. And it's not just plastic anymore. It's any material that disrupts the recycling system, essentially. Um, and therefore, you have to, as a, as, a, as a business, in any part of the supply chain, you have to be aware of that. Um, especially if you're the one placing the market, placing the material on the market. So if you're stripping the material off, let's take a brick manufacturer with their name all over the plastic around the pallet of bricks. If your name's on the plastic, you're paying, you're paying that extra fee. Um, mm. and, there's, you can, and there's nothing you can do about it. So it's, um, it's big. EPR is, is big. And when I was, when I was in retail and we worked out the extra cost of compliance, um, it was ten to fourteen fold increase in cost. Mm. So if you're a business, if you're a business paying a million pounds in compliance for the materials you place on the market, that's going back to the 1990 regulations. You're paying maybe a million pounds in compensation for the, for that. That's then going to obviously ten to fourteen million mm -hmm. pounds instead. And and we fell we all fell off our seats when we worked it out when we were in the retail. We were like, wow, this is this is big, you know. Yeah. And the, I mean, rubber, the rubber is finally hitting the road on that. You mentioned the date this February. The data that businesses have to collect for EPR has started already. So yeah. having to collect their data, they're having to tell, having to tell um, DEFRA that they produce X amount of plastic, X amount of paper, X amount of whatever else they, they generate. And within that, how much of that plastic is a certain polymer or, a, or another type of polymer? And also, is it recycled content or is it not recycled content? So there's lots more detail. As I said, data is data is going to be very, very important. And I'm sure you, mm -hmm. I know you talked about data before on, on the podcast, and it's really, really critical in this in this area. So the data piece has begun. Businesses over a certain size have to report their data twice a year now. They have to do it in October, and they'll have to do it again in March for the year just gone, for the calendar year just that was that is about to finish uh, and then from 2025 they'll start paying for the privilege of putting those hard to recycle materials on the market whatever that may be these materials on the naughty step which is have now been revealed to us um, they will pay more for the privilege of doing that and therefore their cost of compliance will go up the, the idea being that it incentivizes businesses to to use different materials or to use materials differently uh, use less materials, obviously, and and try and make make those make those changes. So EPR is the second one, um, and and it's big and it's coming. <laughs> the last the last one is 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 around the way that you collect materials. So in England, it's called simpler recycling. Uh, in Wales, it's called workplace recycling. So if you're a biz, if you're a builder or a in construction in Wales, you're going to have to start collecting materials different from April next year. You're going to have to okay. put all your paper and card in one bin, all your other recyclables in another bin, and all your food waste, if you've got food waste, in a separate bin. And there's and the, in Wales, you have to collect textiles and electronics separately as well. Hmm. So from a, in, in the construction sector, if you're only now, if you're only collecting recyclables in one bin, you're going to have to split them into two bins. Uh, and in our in our experience, there's not many building sites where this is happening very efficiently anyway so there is when mm. we look in recycling bins on a building site they're very they're very badly contaminated there's a lot of cross-mingling <laughs> of materials 
there's this weird there's this weird phrase which we hear a lot called lightweight mix compatible i don't know if you've ever heard this before but this is what nope building this is what building sites tend to call their recycling bin but it's not recycling at all it's it's a mixture of all kinds of things and the classic example is the the builder might put the rubble and the bricks at the bottom and then cover it with cover it with recyclable packaging and say this is a recyclable this is a recyclable <laughs> yeah. material, honest gov and of course then we come along and we can't do anything with it because it's because it's contaminated mm -hmm. in wales in april and then in england from 2025 which isn't that far away businesses are going to have to separate these materials out properly and they'll get fined if they deliberately or or perhaps accidentally mix mix the materials up so this simpler recycling piece is very important and that's part of the that's kind of the third part of the recycling strategy that the government yeah. fin finally now announced what it might look like in england so th this this is the thing that i love about doing the the podcast and uh, i find fa fascinating in itself in in any walk of life is that you can talk about bins you can talk about concrete you can talk about rocks pavements i'm just looking around this room um umbrellas yeah. windows whatever and it is always 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 more complex and more fascinating than you give it credit for you know a blind's just a blind right you know a, a, a table's just a table yeah um and you don't realize how much goes into it and and that's just the the, the, the policies that we, and, and you, you dug a bit deeper into other elements there but that's just the policies and it always yeah. fascinates me in terms of um how detailed any industry or any small subset of that industry can go yeah yeah no i, I totally agree uh and i guess in in this sector what packaging looking at packaging in a bit more detail does for businesses is, is help them understand the the waste they might be producing from a product as well. Mm. So there's a there's a load of different products delivered to a building site every day, isn't there? In lots of different yeah. myriad types of packaging, and when you start looking at the packaging, you start to think, you start to spot lots of other opportunities that the way the products are being delivered or even made to see well, I could do that differently. I could do that differently. I could mm -hmm. be more efficient over here. So it is again. I think package, packaging is a good proxy to help us to be better businesses generally. And and do do you think these policies and legislations as they are now and as they're going to be do you think they they go far enough there's 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 too much of it what's your take on, yeah, on that yeah um they don't quite go far enough for us at the moment i think that we 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 have say we the royal way the industry is happy that mm. they find they finally announced what all those three elements look like the tax the epr and, mm. and the and the simpler recycling we now know what those instruments look like. They have to be they have to be passed into law. So our first plea really is pass pass them into law as quickly as possible, and then it and then iterate them, and make them a bit better. So EPR is the one where we want them to look at. We want whilst it's based on weight at the moment, EPR, the weight of plastic, the weight of card, the weight of metal, whatever it might be. We want them to maybe flip that and look at it, look at it from a carbon perspective in the future rather than just weight because weight is a very dumb measure for a, for sustainability really and mm. carbon is a much more well much more Im important measure as all these businesses are trying to go net zero they're going to need to know what the carbon impact of anything is and and first stop is packaging 
So we want them to perhaps look at it, look at a bit more in a bit more circularity when when it's an EPR finally launches in 25 for businesses. Um, we want them to then iterate and try and, gen, and over time, over the next five years, maybe improve the the way that you you report on your materials, because I think that's just the most sensible way of doing it ultimately. Yeah. Right, Roger. I, I want to want to start wrapping this up, but I, I want to drill down into your expertise here for this okay. final part of our our, our chat, uh, and this is all about as we've spoken, but but not on this particular topic. This is all about packaging optimization, right? So if I yeah. was to come to you within the construction industry, and I know there's huge caveats here, but if I was to come to you within the construction industry uh, to review and give advice on the packaging that we're utilizing, where are we starting and, and what's the <laughs> process we'd go through to, to, to get an opt to optimal packaging for the product yeah yeah i mean ultimately what we're trying to do is move move all the materials up up the waste hierarchy and the waste hierarchy as you as you probably know is that sort of bottom bottom rung of the ladder is landfill the next rung of the ladder is energy recovery then you've got recycling and then you've got reuse and you might have one at the very top is don't do it in the first place so don't, don't have packaging so refuse is often is <laughs> is the r i use for the last one um, okay and then and then there is another r actually so there's there's i like to talk about rotting so if material ends up okay. in the environment for whatever reason if it can rot safely in the environment that's the least worst option however i think mm. in the in this sector we can we can pretty much eradicate anything leaking into the environment because we're in a we're in a we're on a building site or in a closed environment that's being very carefully controlled so i don't think other than plastic blowing away in the wind and that sort of thing, I think we can control pretty much all materials. So when I think about optimization and I think about ultimately where we want to be is this sort of circular model of everything getting reused or recycled and back into the system and many, many times. We've got to we've got to got to bite the elephant a chunk at a time. We can't just go straight from where we are now to, to that. So there's probably three things that we must do. We must start as a sector to really start to get under the skin of what we're actually dealing with materials wise, how much, how much of each material are we, are we, you know, dealing with placing on the market or indeed throwing away in the skips and the bins on our, on the building sites. And the first, the first way to do that is to try and, is to try and um, get an open date. I, I, we talk about an open data source. So there are platforms where you, all businesses can enter their data but everyone can see everybody else's sort of packaging data. And there is there is um, a new system for that available at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll share it in the show notes, but if, if anybody wants to investigate that and try and start collecting data in a consistent way with all of their with all of their competitors, they can do it and it will help ultimately help everyone. So it's that classify classification piece. Really get that data nailed down about your packaging and materials. Then you get into the really good stuff and the actual optimization piece. So this is trying to make your packaging uh, as homogenized as possible. And this is probably against against all, all marketing sort of wishes, isn't it? Because it's about making everything the same as possible. Um, so if we're thinking about plastics, which is obviously one of the biggest materials out there, we're not saying get rid of plastic. We're just saying use a single type of plastic 
and don't bond different polymers together. Um, and if you don't do that, then it has a much better chance of being recycled in the future, mm. as and when that's as and when that uh, simpler recycling policy becomes mandatory. So in the future, you might you might be able to put your soft plastic pallet wrap and all of that stuff in a in a in a bin that then gets taken away and, and genuinely recycled into some more pallet wrap and shrink wrap. Um, but if it's multi-material, if it's if it's got different laminates of different polymers, that's going to be virtually impossible to do. It'll only ever get downcycled mm. into something much worse. So that sort of homogenization of packaging is really important. Then I guess the next bit of that is the is the um, the way that it's printed or the way that it's the graphics are printed or the names and the brands are printed on that packaging. What a lot of businesses have done in this sector already is is try and strip back a bit of that branding, remove some of the print, the heavy the heavy printed materials um and the and the materials are often dyed a, a certain color so film if, if you dye a film a shrink film a certain color it can only ever go back to a black piece of packaging hmm. whereas if it's if it's clear or natural and has very little print on it or you know 20 30 percent coverage of print it will be able to go back to a, a product that can then go around again and again so again like i say it's it's it frightens the marketeers that I talk to, but it's about sort of debranding stuff, simplifying stuff, and that optimization is important. There's also mm. a lot of work to do around um, the way that products are sent to a building site. Often you see lots of lots of individual products in individual bits of packaging being delivered all at the same time, and you you think, well, couldn't all of those things just been in one box or one bag? Yeah, and say you will save. Even though box may a box may be this big compared to lots of little boxes this big, you think, well, that's the same amount of packaging. Well, it isn't. It's actually a lot less because you've optimised the the way that you've sent the products to the to the to the place where it needs to go. So, optimization is sometimes just about the right fit of the right product and also the right amount of products in the box as well. It doesn't. It's not rocket science, but it, it, it's not often thought about. Um, mm. Then I then I suppose the next thing is um, looking at are there any ways that you can switch that that product that packaging to a maybe a reusable type of packaging. So if you're delivering, I don't know, let's say I don't know, let's say bricks as a good example. You're delivering bricks to a building site. You might have a blanket over the top, which then protects the bricks from rain, stops the bricks falling off the pallet, but the blanket goes back and gets used again and again instead of just keep wrapping bricks in plastic, which potentially won't get recycled. Mm. And I think there's a number of opportunities in this sector where you could be a bit a bit clever with, with that. It's not not all of it's not everything all at all at the same time, but you can pick off certain certain things that are getting delivered that you could switch to a reusable or refillable sort of solution, a tote, a tote system for for bathroom products or whatever it might be. So you're delivering the products they get used but the thing that carried it goes back and gets used again so like i say it's not rocket science but that's where we yeah. can really once we've done the optimization piece we can go a step further and sort of that's what i call it from optimization to harmonization almost so they're doing a bit more taking that you know a little bit of step further forward that will get us to a place eventually where we can perhaps have everything that's coming into a building site as as there's, there's no waste at all, essentially, because you're reusing all the packaging, essentially. that That's kind of the ultimate. That's so, cool. yeah, that, that's think, kind of a very broad brushstroke, what I would, what I would yeah. suggest. 
uh, of course i mean it's it's so 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 interesting uh, it, just th those areas where you don't even well it's not first in mind you know in terms of reducing packaging straight away you just think of getting rid of packaging and that mm. might not be the case like you say reusable etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, combining mm. products and, and and things like that and and from the marketing perspective my first thought when you were talking about that was the fact that okay well how can we get our brand onto the actual product or how can we get um more touch points with the people that are using it and that reusable element is that additional touch point that single use or packaging that's just thrown away or 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 into a standard recycle bin you don't get that additional touch point where if it's reusable you yeah. you're communicating a, a, in a, an additional part with yeah. your yeah. users which is which is always a great opportunity to spark conversation and and build that trust yeah for sure um and I, as i said at the beginning this this uh, this sector hasn't stood still on this i think they're they're now getting getting to grips with all of this stuff and your listeners will definitely have heard of the supply chain sustainability school who represent yeah. a number of different um builders and suppliers and merchants in the industry and they've just put a paper out called packaging optimization in the house house building sector we'll put the link in the notes i'm sure that yeah they've basically gone across the whole supply chain and, and called out loads of great examples of packaging optimization in, in little pockets of, of activity and put it all together in one report and, yes. and what, I, what what we hope it will do because we you know we help we help the school sort of put this together what we hope it will do will inspire everybody else to, to, to borrow with borrow with pride of all these ideas and and take and take them on themselves and push each other along because what's you know what one mistake that the the food retailers make again is they didn't really collaborate at the very beginning of this mm -hmm. journey of reduction everyone wanted to do their own thing um and would would the collaboration was very limited but once they started to collaborate things really got motoring so you might have heard of the uk plastic pact which was a group of okay. a group of businesses mainly retailers mainly food manufacturers once they got together and started putting some plans together they really got you know some good results across the packaging supply chain but i think construction the construction industry is more more likely to collaborate aren't they than than food retail would ever collaborate yeah i think i think once the benefits are, are there I, I and and i don't know much about food retail but i know that in construction there are a lot of associations and federations and that's where it's it's huge potential for collaborative effort um, you know, whereas in other industries they might not have those associations as 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 a plentiful as as the construction industry because it is a diverse industry. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I've, I'm an advocate of collaboration. I don't think it is as rife in construction as it should be, but with things like this and packaging, it is without a doubt prime for a collaborative approach and learning from each other massively yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I have to. I have to. I love a quote, and I always think about this quote. There's a guy called Peter Drucker who was a famous management consultant. Said, uh, "There's nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency something you should not be doing at all." And that, for me, sums up where where we are with packaging. There's no point optimizing the packaging uh, if you could get got rid of it in the first place or done something different. Yeah, so, yeah. So uh, that, over that means, over engineering, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Roger, thank you so much. It's been it's been so interesting in a topic where I don't think many people appreciate the time and effort that goes into those types of things in within construction because yeah. it is the, the the product delivered to a site that is then the product that is will be the building and will forever be there well for 50 100 years or whatever it will be there and and the rest of it is almost disregarded and not seen particularly yeah. by the general public so thank you so much for opening our, our eyes and, and bringing your knowledge and expertise it's, it's very much appreciated my absolute pleasure i really enjoyed it thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen if you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover or simply want to say hiya You'll find me on LinkedIn or through the emails. Peter at builddifferent.marketing. Stay disruptive.